Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. And now, the list of things that you can buy at the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com. Things to wear like Chicago Reader hats, t-shirts, bandanas, and face masks. Things for your daily life like the Chicago Reader camping mug, Chicago Reader tote bags, and a Chicago Reader reporter's notebook. Things for you to read like our Reader recipes, the Chicago Reader 420 Companion, our Chicago Reader Best of book series from journalists Maya Dukmasaba, Mike Sula, Ben Jarofsky, and Lior Galil, the Chicago Reader coloring book, and the Chicago Reader stay home puzzle. Find the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com and show your support for the nation's first free weekly news newspaper since 1971. time on the Ben Jarofsky show as I speak. It's Thursday, October 14th. Man, man, the days are flying fast. A headline that just broke uh, in the Sun-Times on the internet. Uh, Lightfoot spars with Hispanic caucus over hiring record. Uh, And this headline is really uh, apropos to the conversation I'm about to have with a good friend of the show who a distinguished guest and as I do with all bonus uh, show distinguished guests, I ask them to introduce themselves. So distinguished guests, introduce yourself. Hey, everybody. This is Carlos Ramirez Rosa, and I have the great pleasure of serving as alderman of Chicago's 35th Ward. Yes, and he also has the great pleasure of coming on my show mm, at least once every six weeks. Uh, and as I was telling Carlos before the show, he's got one of these guys we could talk local politics, we could talk national politics. Uh, but we're going to do a lot of uh, local politics, and we'll get to some national at the end, Carlos. Uh, so this is burning on my mind. i got to tell you, I wasn't unaware of this, what went down at this uh, caucus meeting, until uh, Jeanette Taylor, JT, uh, all the way Jeanette Taylor was on the show earlier today, and she said, did you hear what Lori Lightfoot said uh, at this ca- uh, caucus meeting? And I said, no, I hadn't heard it. I actually had not heard it. And she goes... She said she's the best mayor Chicago's ever had, even better than Harold Washington. And Carlos Ramirez rose up my mouth. Literally, <laughs> I could talk. You know this. I have the ability to talk. I'm never at a loss for words. I got the gift of gab. I, I was speechless. Because to me, and this is just me as an old baby boomer speaking, the greatest mayor the city of Chicago has ever had is Harold Washington on so many levels, on so many fronts, including... At the top of the list, I would put, or not at the top of the list, but in the top five, what he did to build independent Hispanic politics in this city. So why don't you be our reporter and explain what went down uh, at the Hispanic caucus meeting uh, when Lori Lightfoot said that. Take it away, Carlos. Well, uh, you know, for the record, I just want to make it clear to the mayor's people that are listening. I was not the individual that went and told the press about what happened uh, behind those closed doors. Uh, after the story broke, I did get a phone call from Fran Spielman, 
And given that the story had already broken, I felt uh, that it was okay for me to now speak publicly about what happened behind closed doors on Tuesday. The mayor reached out to the Latino caucus and said that she wanted to meet with us to talk about her 2022 budget and to speak about some priorities that we had identified for her uh, via letter. And we sat down and, you know, we started getting into, you know, what were our priorities for the budget and just immediately off the bat, extremely combative, uh, very uninterested in hearing anything that we had to say, not accepting any of the very light uh, diplomatic professional criticism that some of my colleagues offered. Um, just very much, you know, uh, I'm the best. Everything that I do is great. Uh, my record is irreproachable. Uh, and if anyone says otherwise, you know, they're full of uh, S-H-I-T. Can I, can I say Yes, I absolutely. I don't remember. You should have heard Je <laughs> Jeanette Taylor earlier. But today. yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I was just super shocked about, you know, the way in which the mayor went about this. You know, the Latino caucus has many, uh, you know, mayoral allies, many aldermen that have voted with her many times uh, that, uh, you know, have carried a lot of water for her. And, you know, the, the folks that were speaking were folks that, you know, uh, are generally voting alongside the mayor more than they're not. And so for her to, you know, yell at them, treat them in that way, you know, I, I've seen the mayor act in this way in the past. Certainly, you know, we've heard that, you know, in her office, she's treated people that way that work for her. Uh, and that as a result of that, she's had, you know, issues uh, keeping some, you know, talent in her office or recruiting new talent to her office. But I, I think I was just really shocked by some of the things that she said, um, particularly, you know, as it relates to, you know, her record investing in the black community and in historically disenfranchised communities. What, okay, so before we get to the Harold Washington part, which uh, really irritated this old baby boomer, uh, let's talk about uh, perhaps more significant uh, her investment in low-income communities that really are starving uh, for that kind of investment. What did she say about her record? Well, you know, what I'll say is that um, we brought up as the Latino caucus the 2022 budget, and one of my colleagues, it was misreported in the sometimes I did bring this to the attention of Frank Spielman, but one of my colleagues, Alderwoman Silvana Tabaras, asked if the uh, guaranteed basic income, right, which is a pilot program that was first suggested by Gil Villegas that would provide poor and working class families in the city of Chicago um, with a check every single month to supplement their income, to help them make ends meet. Uh, you know, the, the, my colleague asked if that could be taken out of the budget, if it could be a separate standalone vote given that, you know, it's facing some opposition. And the mayor just said, absolutely not. Uh, that's staying in the budget. It's really important to me that that stay in the budget. I'm not going to entertain a separate vote on that matter outside of the city budget. And, um, you know, then the mayor started talking about how the Black Caucus viewed the guaranteed basic income, in her words, because I haven't been able to verify this with the Black Caucus, but she said that there were Black aldermen that were criticizing her for implementing this program in her 2022 budget without also including reparations. And essentially that, you know, the Black Caucus viewed this guaranteed basic income pilot program as a handout to Latinos. And that she rejected that totally. And that, you know, she also rejects the notion that she has to do something on reparations. Um, and that's when she said that she's uh, given a fuck ton of funding to the Black community in her words. And I think that for me was just really shocking. You know, my colleague, all the women Rodriguez wasn't there, but immediately I'm texting Rosanna and I'm just like, you're not going to believe this. Like the mayor just said that she's invested a fuck ton of money in the black community and that she's not going to give them a cent more. And I think for me, it's just really wild to hear 
a mayor who ran on a commitment to equity, a mayor who ran stating that she understood the decades of disinvestment, the pain, the hurt that exists in this community and the way in which that pain is manifesting itself, right? Um, that, that she would work to address that inequity for her to say, no, I've done enough and I don't need to do anything more, um, I, I think was, was really upsetting. Uh, I don't think that that's the right way to approach public policy issues. Uh, I think that there's a lot more that all of us need to do. Uh, and you know, full disclosure, I support reparations uh, for the descendants of American slaves. So um, yeah, that was really shocking. And um, yeah, I see your face right now, Ben. You're like, what the? I, I'm like, you get folks, if you, my face has been like that. From the moment that Jeanette Taylor told me about this, first of all, let me yeah. just point out, Carlos is just gonna be, knows what I'm about to say, because he's heard me say it a million times, and I've been saying it a million times, and apparently I'm gonna have to say it a million more times until it gets to the heads of the people who run this city. The biggest economic development program that we have, the one program that's intended to bridge these social inequities that Carlos just alluded to, the one program that's intended to eradicate blight in low-income communities, the TIF program, is so freaking flawed that almost, the, I would say, over 60% of the money goes to upscale, largely white communities. And if you compare how much money Brian Hopkins is getting for Lincoln Yards in the second ward, which is Carlos knows because it's not far from where he uh, represents people in Logan Square, for a gentrifying community for a project, $1.3 billion. Carlos, that's more money. One ward, one white ward is getting than pretty much all the black wards in the city of Chicago. And it's only the utter ignorance yeah. of the people of the city of Chicago that they put up with this and enables the mayor to get away with saying something so preposterous as yep. she should have said, I yep. gave a fuck ton of money to Brian Hopkins Ward because that's where most of the money is going. <laughs> Brian Hopkins Ward. God damn. And it's only, yeah. Carlos, because people are so clueless about how things go in the city of Chicago that she gets away yep. with it. And not just her, Ron before her. Ron would have one press. You got me going, Carlos. You're like, he would give out like a nickel to some black business in Austin, have a press conference, the TV cameras would be there, like, oh, the mayor is doing so much for black people. Meanwhile, a billion three going to Lincoln Yards. Carlos, I had to go on that riff. I'm sorry. Yeah. Your response. Go ahead. No, the, no that's exactly the response um, that, that that type of statement warrants. I think that's an excellent point that you just made, which is that, you know, the mayor gave a fuck ton of money uh, to Lincoln Yards. Uh, to big wealthy developers, and she continues to do so through the TIF program uh, through today. And let's not forget, the mayor ran on a commitment to undo the Lincoln Yards project. She ran as a critic of that project. She said she was going to put a stop to it. And then immediately, she had not even been sworn in, and she did a complete 180. And I think that was the first indication that we had that this woman was not who she said she was in her ads, in her campaign speeches. Um, it's very clear, I think, to most Chicagoans that have been paying attention to politics that the mayor was coached. The mayor received talking points. She was willing to use those talking points about equity and social and economic justice and progressivism on the campaign trail to get into office. And since she's been in office, she's governed uh, from the center right, if not the right. I mean, look at the anti-gang terrorism ordinance that she put forward, which is just a bunch of, you know, BS law and order posturing that we would expect from Donald Trump. 
So I, I think this notion that, you know, she believes that she's invested a quote unquote fuck ton in the black community is totally misinformed. I think the fact that you just pointed out when you compare it to the other investments that City Hall has made, it is a paltry amount, you know, because she'll, she'll probably point to, you know, the Invest Southwest initiative. But, you know, the, the amount of money that has been, you know, funneled to the black community through the Invest Southwest initiative uh, pales in comparison to the amount of money that has gone uh, to Sterling Bay and other developers uh, working on big mega developments on the north side and in already very luxurious upscale parts of the city. And let's not forget, uh, that was a great rip, by the way, and let's not forget the South Loop, uh, our, um, our good friend Byron Sixer Lopez didn't even want the money coming. He didn't even want it, the, and they put it through anyway. Now, Mayor Lightfoot, if she were here, she will Ben. Carlos, that was under Mayor Rahm. Yes, that was the final city council vote under Mayor Rahm, but you you did not fight it. You did not resist it. You waved the white flag. And furthermore, after Misha Patel and her allies went to court to overturn the TIF, the Lincoln Yard TIF, you sent in city lawyers to fight them. And so just standing back, Carlos, and letting Misha Patel and her group fight that uh, TIF deal on the north side, she sent in the lawyers to fight Amisha Patel. So, and yes, <laughs> like you can't have it and, two and ways. Since you brought up, since you brought up Byron, when Byron was doing the bidding of his community and didn't want a new alcohol liquor establishment to open up in his ward, the city lawyers laid down and said, Oh, we're gonna, uh, you know, go along with, uh, you know, this uh, licensee that's applying. I don't know if you saw that news story, but it, it just goes to show, right? When it's for one of her allies, when it's for a moneyed interest. The city lawyers go in and defend that moneyed interest when it's uh, one of her political opponents, right, who's standing up on behalf of his community and saying, no, we passed an ordinance to disallow future alcoholic establishments opening up in this stretch of Pilsen that has said they don't want any more to open up here. Then the city lawyers say, oh, no, we can't fight this case. Right. We're going to settle. We're going to allow in this interest, you know, this uh, liquor license, uh, you know, applicant to get their way. So. I, I think it just shows kind of this is not the light that we were promised. This is the same old petty machine politics that have run this city for decades. Uh, and it's what Chicagoans were fed up with. And it's what Chicagoans voted against in 2019. Well, uh, that this is a good point, as any, to uh, mention. Uh, and I do not want to dwell too much on what went down over 30 years ago. But, but since Chicago seems determined... Uh, never to learn from its mistakes and to perpetuate those mistakes. Let me just say this. Uh, when Harold Washington was mayor of the city of Chicago, there were very few uh, Hispanic aldermen. I'm trying to think if there were any. Uh, there was Miguel Santiago, uh, who was the alderman, I want to say, of the 26th Ward um, uh, on the northwest side of Chicago. He was an ally of Edward Doleck, et cetera, and so forth. And no, it wasn't the 26th, 31st, I want to say. Anyway, neither here nor there. Uh, but uh, Harold Washington, his alliance with Chewy Garcia, Luis Gutierrez, Gloria Chevere, uh, Judge Figueroa, the list goes on and on, enabled them to get elected. Carlos, you know this history, because you're, even though you're young, uh, you are a political geek, and you studied this stuff, and you know it. You know the history of Puerto Rican politics on the northwest side of Chicago. You know the role Harold Washington played in developing a, uh, independent political politics, independent Puerto Rican politics, uh, and built a, um, uh, a Puerto Rican uh, 
political sort of team. And then Dick Mel had to respond and the machine had to respond by reaching out to people like Manny Torres. You get what I'm saying? So it started with Harold. So it's really weird that Lori, maybe she doesn't know this history, Carlos, uh, on this particular issue, uh, would choose to try to uh, favorably compare herself to Harold. Your response? Yeah, I mean, I think Harold was very much oriented from what I've read, because as you noted, Ben, I wasn't there. Uh, I was born after Harold. I was born into a post-Harold Washington world. Um, but Harold was very intentional from everything that I've read about building a black-brown coalition and about really making inroads with immigrant rights activists um, and, and a really, truly a rainbow coalition, right? Um, a coalition that brought together people from marginalized communities across the city, from the northwest side, from the north side, from the south side, from the southwest side, uh, from the LGBTQ community, uh, from uh, you know the Jewish community. So Harold was really keen about building a strong coalition to move the city in a progressive direction. And when the city council and the Verdoliac 29 stood in his way, Harold Washington connected with activists on the Northwest side, connected with activists on the Southwest side, and they ran progressive independent candidates for those new majority Latino wards, the 26th ward, around Humboldt Park and the 22nd Ward around Pilsen and Little Village, and they elected Chuy Garcia and uh, Luis Gutierrez to the city council. And those two Latino aldermen gave Harold Washington the majority that he needed to govern uh, before he tragically died. So, you know, I, I think for me, it's, it's if you look at the coalition that Mayor Lightfoot is, is building, it's not that coalition, right? Mayor Lightfoot, when she sits down with the Latino caucus, and plays off of uh, issues and contention that have historically existed between the black community and the Latino community and says, I've given a fuck ton to the black community, right? Um, she is feeding into the worst impulses that exist among some members of our community, right? She is not playing that role that Harold Washington played of bringing together people into coalition to push a progressive agenda in the face of right-wing conservative opposition. That's not what she's doing here, right? Instead, she's doing the exact opposite of what Harold Washington did. And so I, I think that at this point, it's pretty clear um, that you know, Mayor Lightfoot is not a progressive, right? Just the list goes on and on and on of the, the things that she has done uh, that actually have been very harmful to the progressive movement. You know, I'm very proud that in the Progressive Caucus and in the Democratic Socialist Caucus of the Chicago City Council, we have black aldermen, we have Latino aldermen, we have white aldermen coming together to push a progressive agenda. And you know who our biggest impediment has been in the Chicago City Council? It's been Mayor Lightfoot making common cause with more conservative aldermen, in many instances, individuals like Nicholas Fasado, right? perhaps one of the most right-wing aldermen that has ever sat in the Chicago City Council. So again, I think that you know the mayor has really tried to you know divide the city council and then kind of selectively chooses you know on this issue I'm going to throw in my lot with the Nick Spasados of the world and block the progressives. She's done that to us consistently on a number of housing issues, and then she'll come along and say, all right, on this issue, for example, with civilian oversight, she did ally with the progressives in the city council to pass something meaningful. Um, but I, I think the number of instances and the number of times that she's allied herself with the progressives in the city council to bring together that Harold Washington coalition uh, are, are very slim uh, to none. Uh, and um, 
it's just it's just very disappointing because I, I think that Chicagoans were expecting something radically different uh, when they cast their vote back in 2019. And I don't think that this is the administration that Chicagoans voted for. Carlos, we've been talking a lot about this, uh, the uh, sort of squabble uh, between uh, Lori Lightfoot and Kim Fox. And uh, I try to be as neutral as I can in this matter, but it just seems to me that I saw this headline in Sun-Times the other day. It was said, stop fighting uh, Kim Fox and Lori Lightfoot. I'm like, Kim Fox didn't start. I don't know why you're putting Kim Fox in this. I mean, <laughs> Kim Fox didn't start this, you know? And so I just like sometimes we bend over backwards just to be so fair as reporters. You know, I'm not taking a side in this. It was Lloyd Lightfoot has obviously seen that pounding Kim Fox is a useful thing to do in certain communities and pounding uh, David Brown is a useful thing to do in certain communities. Uh, and then social pounder and then back off. Well, I didn't really say that and stop putting words in my mouth and. Very bizarre behavior, and uh, I'm, I'm not sure how it helps anybody in the city of Chicago. It, it All right, let's since you raise, it doesn't help anyone. You raise the issue. Of, uh, it doesn't, and the the mayor and, and Chief Brown have been sandbagging Kim Fox. Uh, the data does not back up the assertions that they've been making. The mayor's own deputy mayor for public safety before she left sent multiple emails to the administration saying, you've got to stop saying this shit, that it's the state's attorney's fault, because the data does not back it up. The only thing you have is an anecdote here and an anecdote there, but that actually doesn't build a case to change public policy. And so I, I think it's really upsetting that in this moment when nationwide we've seen an increase in violent crime, Chicago has been no exception there. And unfortunately, in, we've seen a bigger increase here than in other parts of the country. And some neighborhoods have seen an even bigger increase than other neighborhoods in this moment when people are increasingly saying, I'm afraid of walking out of my house. I'm afraid of staying in my car while it's idling because I'm afraid of being carjacked. In this moment when we've seen this increase in crime, rather than putting forward a robust public safety agenda in concert with your partners in the state's attorney's office, the mayor and our chief superintendent choose to instead engage in demagoguery. That's what it is. It's demagoguery. It's not a public safety solution. It's finger pointing. And I'm actually really proud that Kim Fox stood up and was like, this is nonsense, right? Like they're there sandbagging her week after week after week. The woman didn't say anything for months, you know, and finally she said enough. And she stood up and she released the data and she talked about what's really happening in the city of Chicago. The reality is that nine out of 10 people that the police bring to the state's attorney, they're getting prosecuted. And to the state's attorney's credit, because the main law that we have to defend is the U.S. Constitution, if the police bring her a suspect without enough evidence, she's not going to prosecute the case, right? That is exactly what a state's attorney should do. She's doing her job. Her department's doing their job. And, and I think it's also just, it's, it's just really, really a big shame that in this moment, you know, I got to tell you another story, and, and I might get in trouble for telling you this story, but this is a really crazy story. And I think to me, it's just really emblematic of the way that this administration has approached governing and some of the deep-seated issues that exist in the city in this moment in time. My colleague, Alderwoman Rosana Rodriguez, has been hosting a series of community conversations about public safety. She brought in the Inspector General for Public Safety. She brought in the state's attorney. So she's been having these town hall meetings. The first meeting she had had 300 people. I think she had a meeting last night. It had like 80 people. Do you know that the mayor got upset 
that Rosana had a town hall with the deputy inspector for public safety. Now tell me, the inspector general on public safety, they're the ones that are looking at CPD's books. They're the ones that are looking at CPD policy. They're investigating. If there's anyone that knows what's going on with the police department in the city of Chicago, it's the people whose job it is to investigate them. So the inspector general for public safety was invited out to this hearing that Rosanna had in her community. The mayor apparently was so incensed that the inspector general would be invited to a public meeting on public safety. Rosanna reaches out to uh, the mayor's office and says, hey, I'd also like to invite, you know, Chief uh, Brown to attend one of these meetings in my ward. Two days later, after the mayor, uh, you know, after Rosanna makes this request to the mayor's office, guess who shows up in Rosanna's ward without telling Rosanna, without telling the community that she was going to be there? Mayor Lightfoot. Mayor Lightfoot shows up with police superintendent Brown, does not tell the local alderman who has a request in, you know, that the superintendent come and meet with her community and instead meets with a few remnants of the Mel machine. Tell me, that is not a real public safety strategy. Everyone needs to come together to work on public safety. You got to reach out to the local alderman and say, hey, I know that you've been having some issues with public safety. The superintendent is coming. Let's get together. Let's have a real community conversation. Let's focus together on real solutions. No, the mayor came there to play political games for a, a photo op, for a cheap political stunt. And who does she coordinate this cheap political stunt with but the remnants of the Mel machine in the 33rd Ward? Come on, this is some petty politics. And Ben, I know you got to say something right now, but in this moment in time when we have record carjackings, this is what the mayor's wasting her time on? This is what the mayor's wasting city resources on? Is petty machine political games? It, this has got to stop. Yeah. Yeah, that uh, when I saw that, uh, that reminded me a lot of the games that Her uh, that uh, Rahm Emanuel, Mayor Rahm Emanuel, play with uh, Sue Sedlowski Garza when she was first elected alderman, barely got elected in the face of his opposition uh, as alderman in the tenth ward. Uh, he would invite her uh, to certain functions that he would have in her ward, or he'd invite John Pope, who was the predecessor yeah. that Sue Sedlowski Garza defeated. And when I when I read about uh, what the mayor did to uh, Rosanna Rodriguez said, just I'm like, oh my God, this is right out of the ROM yes. playbook. Yes. And, uh, but it's, it's worse. It's worse uh, because, you know, we didn't have record carjackings under ROM, right? Maybe, maybe ROM had the luxury to play some of those games. I'm sorry, Mayor, like, but you do not have the luxury to be playing these games. I, that you have time. And, and the deputy, uh, uh, mayor for public safety was involved in coordinating this crap. This is, the, this is what the deputy mayor of public safety is spending their time on, coordinating these cheap political stunts to mess with one of the few brown women in the Chicago City Council. This is so sad. And I remember I, it was Saturday, and I'm finding out that all this is happening, that the mayor or orchestrated this political stunt. And I'm helping my mom deal with some stuff, and I'm helping her move some furniture. And I share this with my mom, and my mom says, oh, my God, that is so ugly. And it is. It is just so ugly that in this moment in time when so many horrible things are happening in this world, that adults, that professionals who committed to bring in the light are spending their time doing this crap on the taxpayer's dime. I'm, I'm just, you can tell I'm really incensed by this. And you know, I get incensed by a lot of things, but this particularly, because I'm just like, but also, you know, I love Rosanna. So if you're messing with Rosanna, I gotta, you know. <laughs> well, I love Rosanna too. Yeah. Uh... And uh, Rosanna Rodriguez-Sanchez defeated, just so people know, uh, she 
it was a very close election. Uh, she edged out Deb Mel, who's the incumbent, who is the daughter of Richard Mel, who's the powerhouse. I've already mentioned him once or twice in this uh, particular conversation, but he was an ally of Edward Verdoliak and Ed Burke back in the city, uh, council ward days, uh, and uh, the old Democratic powerhouse. And uh, he decided he didn't want to be alderman anymore, so he literally handed it over to his daughter in the middle of this uh, uh, council s um, session. And uh, not in the literal meeting, but uh, in the middle of his term, I should say. Uh, and then she was defeated by uh, Rosanna Rodriguez Sanchez. All right. And he's uh, out let's of retirement you mentioned now. Some... Mel is out of retirement. He has started a community group called California Park Neighborhood Association, literally just materialized out of thin air, uh, you know, with, with Dick Mel listed as a board member of the group. Uh, after some people pointed to that, they scrubbed the names off the website. They took his name off of there. Uh, but he's been using that group to spread misinformation about one development in the 33rd Ward. So he's clearly, you know, he wants his revenge. You know, Rosanna and the 33rd Ward working families, they, you know, they took out the, the Mel, uh, you know, uh, machine and they want their revenge now. And sure enough, the remnants of the Mel machine were there with the mayor for her photo op. Which, by the way, 20 minutes after the mayor's photo op, uh, there was a shooting where the mayor was. So it's just like, look, that's not a public safety plan, right? We literally had the police superintendent at that corner, and it did not prevent a shooting from happening, right? Um, so, so again, it, it just shows that, you know, the, the mayor spending her time on these petty political fights rather than taking on the big issues that our city is facing. So you talked about uh, a more sensible approach to uh, public safety. Uh, what what would some of your suggestions to Mayor Lightfoot and David Brown be in terms of uh, utilizing police? Uh, well, I think that first and foremost, we safe. need to look at what has worked at reducing uh, violence um, over the last several decades. There's decades of research. Uh, there is a lot of evidence-based solutions that have been implemented across the United States that are proven to reduce crime. Um, one of the most important things that we could do at this moment in time is ensure that when people are in mental health crisis or whether in another type of you know, social crisis, that rather than sending a police officer, which many times may actually result in a fatal interaction, that instead you send uh, mental health professionals that are trained to deal with that crisis. Um, by sending those mental health professionals, you're gonna be able to free up the police to actually investigate crimes, to actually work to solve the crimes that have already occurred. Because what we need to understand is that police do not prevent crime. Police come in after a crime has been committed to investigate that crime, to find out who was responsible, and to get that person and that individual into our criminal justice system, right? So this notion that police can prevent crime is totally misinformed. It's not backed up by the data. What actually helps to prevent crime are things like mental health first responders, like investing in housing, investing in education, investing in robust jobs programs, youth training programs, doing all the things that communities need in order to be safe. There's decades of research that show that investing in that social safety net is more effective at reducing crime than prisons or jails. And you know, sometimes like the, the right-wingers are like, oh, we want facts, not feelings. Well, those are the facts, right? You want to talk about facts, not feelings? The facts are that investing in housing, social services, mental health, education, jobs, job training programs are more effective investments. There's decades of research backing this up. They are more effective at reducing and preventing crime than more police and more jails. 
And as a matter of fact, there's also research that shows that jailing more people leads to more crime in the future. Because when you're locking kids up, when you're taking an 18 or 19 year old and putting them in jail with seasoned criminals, what do you think happens when they get out of jail four, five, 10 years later? The only thing they know then is a life of crime. So it's almost guaranteed that you're gonna to continue to see this cycle of violence in our communities. So violence begets more violence. Um, you know, Historically, police have not played the role of preventing crime. They've played the role of policing poor and marginalized communities. That's a historical fact. Again, I'm sorry that the facts do not respect your feelings, right-wingers, but these are the facts. And so, you know, I, I think that, you know, I, I, I've heard some anecdotes like, oh, there was someone that, you know, was let loose uh, on an ankle bracelet, right? They were, they were uh, you know, released uh, from being detained in jail while they're waiting for their trial and they went on to commit another crime, right? If that's happening, that's something where we need to be working with the state's attorneys and the court to figure out, you know, you know, why is this person, you know, still out on an ankle bracelet? You know, perhaps, you know, they need to be detained if there's evidence that they've gone on to, you know, commit other crimes. But overall, when you look at a, a comprehensive report that was put out by a researcher and a professor at Loyola University, they found that the bail bond reforms that the Cook County, uh, you know, uh, judicial system has put into effect has not led to an increase in crime, right? So again, the data does not back up what the mayor has been saying. So I, I think that, you know, there's there's a whole host of programs that the mayor could be looking at implementing, um, but there doesn't really seem to be an interest on her part to really uh, implement those programs. And, and to this day, the mayor is still fighting progressive aldermen on a mental health first responder program. All right, let's uh, move away, uh, close the conversation, Carlos, by moving away from uh, local politics and getting into national politics. I said at the outset I was going to ask you this question. I pretty much ask every uh, guest who comes on the show these days this question because I certainly don't have an answer to it. Uh, and so maybe you have one, uh, in which case I will then repeat it endlessly and not give you any credit for it, pretend like I came up with it. So, uh, and here is uh, the question. The question is, how can Joe Biden and the Democrats uh, push through a, uh, all the programs that they want uh, and get it through the Senate uh, with the recalcitrance, putting it mildly, of Manchin and Cinema. We've talked about this so many times. Two Democratic, uh, I have Democratic in quotes. I actually think Cinema is a Republican. Uh, she should really just switch parties, but whatever. Uh, and uh, so, yes, they vote, they label themselves as Democrats, which enabled Chuck Schumer to claim the, that he's the chief major, the majority leader, the president of the Senate, uh, and that give make Democrats the chair of all the committees. But in reality, they don't vote like Democrats, and their uh, opposition to pr virtually anything that Biden proposes uh, kills it before it gets uh, can be passed. Uh, so they don't even bring it to a vote. So your advice uh, to Joe Biden and the National Democrats uh, as to how they can deal with this situation. You know, the Build Back Better agenda is overwhelmingly popular. Uh, it has huge support amongst Americans across demographics, across state lines. It includes so many of the important vital investments that we need for our families, particularly in this moment with this pandemic, with growing homelessness. Um, you know, there's so many important investments in infrastructure and in housing, uh, in health, uh, that the Build Back Better agenda will provide to the American people. Um, it's not just good public policy, it's good politics. And if Democrats wanna see their majorities grow in the upcoming midterm elections, if they wanna see 
uh, the well-being of the American people becomes stronger in the years and the decades to come, you've got to pass the Build Back Better agenda. It's the bare minimum of what you've got to do. And we got to remember that Bernie Sanders already compromised by trillions of dollars, right? Bernie Sanders and other progressives, the, the current bills that are before the, the Congress are the bills that were negotiated on by Democrats and that people agreed to. And the only people that are holding up that have, in fact, this radical extreme agenda when it comes to the Democratic Party are Joan Manchin and Kirsten Sinema. And it's so clear and so transparent that they are the ones that are carrying water for corporate America in this moment in time. I mean, Sinema <laughs> left to Europe to a fundraiser in this moment. What is she doing? She's literally using the fact that she's a holdout on this vote, right, carrying water for corporate interests to go around to luxury resorts and raise money from the rich and powerful. So I saw uh, that at the end of uh, September, about two weeks ago, Arizona Democrats threatened to hold a vote of no confidence. Um, I saw some people in the left making fun of that. I actually think that that's an important first step, right? More people, particularly at the grassroots level in Arizona, need to be saying enough, enough with this bullshit. If they haven't already voted, held the vote of no confidence, it looks like they haven't. I can't. The last thing I see is they mentioned this two weeks ago, that Arizona Democrats. But I think that's probably one of the first steps. I also saw that President Biden went and met with a Democratic congressman uh, in Arizona. And there was some speculation like, is you know Biden indicating that he'll support this congressman? I think that Biden should go and hold a rally in Arizona, an outdoor rally, bring people together and say, look, th this is what the majority of your people want in Arizona, Senator. Right. And if you're going to stand in the way then you're going to face the rebuke of the Arizona Democratic Party, you're going to face the rebuke of your president uh, and we're going to work to get you out of office. And, you know, we might not succeed today, but we're eventually going to succeed when you're up for reelection. So I, I think that that's a critically important step uh, for uh, the Democrats to take. I'm with you on that one, uh, that last point, and uh, I will give you credit. Uh, I was just joking. Well, I'm not stealing your ideas. So I'll give you credit. But I, I think uh, I, I've said this before, and I, I don't want the, the Democrats to start emulating Donald Trump, but that's sort of what Donald Trump would do. He would go on the offensive in the state. He would go to the state where the, uh, <clears throat> the, the senator is that he objects to. And usually I would be siding with the senator that he's objecting to, even if it's a Republican, uh, but I think you're right. At some point, you have to take a stand, and you have to ask yourself, what do we, sing, what do we symbolize as Democrats? Why are we here? And if you can't pass a bill that would uh, help people in this country, an infrastructure bill, or help people with their uh, just their income needs, et cetera, and so forth. Uh, yeah, you know, in the, in the American Revolutionary War, the Loyalists and the King's troops were using cannon. And they were using muskets and rifles and gunpowder. Did that mean that the American patriots, right, that the Revolutionary Army was like, oh, no, they use you know, gunpowder. We can't use gunpowder because that makes us just like the enemy. No. I mean, rallies, rallying your base, getting your voters out, building that grassroots support, getting your message out. Those are things that work. And those are things that we should use. And we should use those tactics with pride and with gusto. Because we have the moral authority and we're on the right side of history. Well put. That's a good place to close it. Uh, Carlos, thank you so much uh, for coming on. Thank you for putting up with whatever te technical difficulties we had. 
Uh, but uh, uh, DJ Nate's going to do a masterful job of stitching this together, and this is going to be uh, an interview that people will be listening to for a long time. So Carlos Ramirez Rosa, thanks so much for being on the show. Thank you. Have a good night. All right, very good. That's Carlos uh, Ramirez Rosa. I'm Ben Jarofsky. Take care, everybody. Mm-hmm.